Hi, I'm Christy King. And I'm Nick Pierce. And we are the hosts of the Workflow Innovation Group or WIG Talks podcast. WIG or the Workflow Innovation Group is a community of broadcast technologists looking at how we can improve broadcast workflows and generally looking into cool broadcast tech stuff. Our sponsors for WIG Talks is Object Matrix, Zixi, and Vidispine. We've got a great show for you today, so let's get going. Hi guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of WIG Talks. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves real quick before we get started? Let's uh, start with you, Nick. Nick Pierce, Object Matrix. Steve Shulman, one of the founders of WIG. Eric Bolton, Business Development, Zixi. Uh, ben Davenport, um, and I'm now Pixotope. Uh, Slight change from where we started these talks about a year ago. That's right. That's right. What is Pixtope? What is it? So Pixtope, we um, provide software for mixed reality production, augmented reality, virtual studios, uh, extended reality, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that, that's what we do. All right. Fun. Ben, have you have you actually swapped employers mid podcast? <laughs> Given it's a part one, part two thing, I can't remember. Uh, uh, no, I, 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 I did not take part in part one, no, um, but, 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 but definitely mid series. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So speaking of part one, where we left off last time is we were talking about the five dirty secrets of the media industry, except I'm pretty sure we came up with a lot more than five. So we were gonna kind of wrap that up because there was a couple things we didn't kind of get to finish uh, talking about. And I think one of the things that we left off talking about at the end of the last series was, you know, high tech seems to be hiring away an awful lot of the media industry engineers and technical talent. So uh, yeah. you guys finding that still true, even though we had that conversation almost four or five months ago now, I'm assuming that's still true. Absolutely. I, I was at a uh, DPP event in Berlin last week and the topic of talent, skills, or, or lack of people available was, was brought up. And it was quite amusing because one of the guys from uh, Amazon brought up the topic of a lack of talent and I piped up and said, how ironic, seeing as you've been stealing all of them. Um, and, and so there, is, there really is, uh, at the moment, a, a, a lack of available talent and people are going to probably the more, the more shiny hyperscale uh, companies. Um, yeah, I did, I, I did, uh, did joke with the, uh, the lovely... Niall Duffy, not so very long ago, that um, that that they AWS kind of have to stop because otherwise they won't have anybody left to sell to. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also true. Ben, you you've uh, Pixotope have obviously been uh, or are on a growth uh, phase, certainly scaling. How are you finding the market for finding talent? Uh... So, so I'm I'm going to contradict a little bit, and, and and maybe we're a little bit shiny, which helps. Um, you know virtual production is everywhere now right so it so it is attracting good talent but we we've been pretty pretty fortunate in finding talent and i think part of that is uh, around flexibility so we we recruit globally we we don't have to be fixed in region even our dev teams are i think our dev teams split over seven or eight countries or something so we we are fortunate in that we can go out to really the widest talent pool but but actually, I don't I don't think we've struggled too much to find talent. And, and in fact, I recruited recently, um, and there's an interesting lesson here actually. But I recruited recently for for a role in my team, and over the course of sort of four weeks, we had like 58 applicants. And and I'll say, I mean, I don't know, eight or nine of them were you know, discardable. 
but but yeah, over forty were definitely qualified applicants, and and um, and it was really difficult to narrow that down to the to to the kind of the ones we wanted to interview, and then and then go ahead and hire, and 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 I think that flexibility. I think there's also something that we are, you know, generally maybe maybe we're we're straying off topic here, but as as um as an industry, we're quite bad, and a lot of people get promoted through the industry. We're never really taught how to be managers, and we're never really taught how to recruit. Um, and so you know, when it comes to things like writing job specs, for example, the way you write a job spec is complete. You know, really is going to affect what kind of applicants you get. Definitely going to affect the diversity of applicants you get, and again, recruiting things. And, and as an industry, we kind of promote people for length of service or for their knowledge, not for their ability to manage or to recruit. And I think maybe that doesn't do us any favors either. I think that's um, across every industry. I mean, it, you know, when I worked in telecoms, you'd have someone who'd been a senior engineer for ten years, made them a manager, and they're quite possibly the worst manager you could have had. I, I, I guess in terms of the hiring thing, though, I think where this came from was that the broadcasters the traditional broadcasters are losing their talent mm. to the new shiny toys and no one wants to go into the engineering room, which is aging out. Mm. So I guess, sure, for a vendor like you guys with the shiny toys, you probably are going to attract that talent. But what does a traditional broadcaster do when the, the, the tech shop is aging out and you know they're competing against Microsoft <laughs> and Amazon and Google, et cetera? And I think that's where this comes from. I think it's starting. I think it's starting to. It's a. It's a problem in the broadcast industry, which is I think is also prevalent amongst amongst a whole bunch of industries um, that maybe used to kind of be a bit sexy. So um, so so TV used to be used to be kind of a really interesting place to work. Not least of all because um, it was uh, when I went to work for a, for for a TV company. Um, it was the first time I could tell my mother where I worked, and she actually recognised the name. So it's a, so that that was kind of quite interesting, but the, you, you, we see people kind of moving on to, to onto some of the new shiny, and uh, yeah, and I've, I've kind of got the same sort of problem where where I sit as a, in a day job at the minute. Part of the problem is that you you're competing for talent for talent at a particular level, and they're all sort of uh, and they've they've it's a real kind of um, um, seller's market for, um, for for particularly software people at the moment we're having to start to look at some um, different things like actual actually concentrate on things like apprenticeship programs and um, and bringing people in at not quite school level but at the university level so that um, so that you're actually building up a pipeline as well as having to as well as being able to recruit in the um, in that wider market if you Ben's right if you don't cast your net wide you get a problem but also I'm quite, quite interested in this idea of um, of you know talent from all over the world because again what I've also found is you know that there's a there's an issue with people sort of you know being on the ground sometimes you know particularly i guess in um, in 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 industry like broadcast engineering because you can't do it all remote no. but also there's a thing about um okay so physically do you then have to have an entity in the countries that you're recruiting people from you know there's a whole bunch of things like taxes and yeah. and and um and stuff which which just add to the the kind of the the overhead of of, of that talent which you know, we've never been used to uh, to, to having to deal with that's true. That's true. And well, coming from the content side these days where I am, um, one of the issues that we just ran into, of course, with the invasion into Ukraine from Russia is we had animators and technical people, both our own company as well as key vendor support are in Ukraine and in Russia. 
And so then what do you do? And, yeah. you know, these are people you care about. And these are people often that are working full time for you. And regardless of where their political stance is, they're people that work for you and they have skill sets that we need in order to keep going. So it's been a real interesting four weeks trying to figure out what we can and cannot do with folks that are coming from those two countries. So that on top of the mass exodus and tough time finding people that had certain skills anyway, that, yeah. you know, those are two places where there's an awful <clears throat> lot of tech people in our industry. Eric, you guys have been doing a lot of hiring, a ton of hiring in the last year. What are you guys finding? No, we have. I mean, I think I can echo many sentiments. So it's interesting for us as a vendor, there are different areas of the organization we're trying to populate. So that starts in engineering and engineering talent, I would say is not easy to find super, super good software engineers in video are not commonplace and they are highly sought after. And you do need to find a level of shiny object. I think Zixi has that cachet, so that's helpful. But finding qualified candidates as we straddle, we have a main office in Tel Aviv. Uh, we have another development team in Waltham, Massachusetts. And we also used Ukrainian uh, contractors, which was a way that we would work with the whole company and then slowly onboard them over time as they became uh, sort of, you know, zixified in their understanding of how we do our process. Um, but you contrast that with, say, field tech, sales engineers, support teams, onboarding. Again, there is fortunately a lot of qualified folks, but there is real competition. And in our case, we, you know, we, we will lose people to Amazon and lose people to Google every once in a while, depending. Uh, Salesforce was one that happened a while back. But fortunately for us, Amazon is a client. So if you're, if you're not going to compete with them, sell them something. We have, in fact, I will say this, we've officially cut all our Russian-related ties due to the war and to the conflict. And that's a public statement. So we are not supporting any business with Russia at this moment. And we're going to stick with that. We've been trying to help the Ukrainians in a number of ways that we're not at liberty to discuss. And uh, we're trying to support the folks as best we can in that run. Jumping to the client side, I have actually helped many of those folks find some of their new gigs that land in the big tech space. I think it's going to be very hard to compete with the salary packages that an Apple and a Google and an Amazon can provide. I mean, it's just, it's really big money. And quite frankly, I go back to the point, sell them something they will buy. But the long tail part of the main networks of, you know, say the United States and media companies, they are going, they are struggling to populate that area, but they're also intending on deprecating. I mean, we, I have four or five main clients, which I won't list by name, but they're going to eliminate between 40 and 50% of headcount over the next two years. Right. So the bigger issue is where you might go into a major network it would be a great place to be groomed. Many folks that are there today are in fact lifers. So the millennials are changing jobs every two and maybe no more than three years. And then you have a management layer that's been there for 25 or 30. They have 401ks, they have the benefits they're getting there, but what are they gonna do? They're gonna have to automate that entire process so that they can long tail that revenue stream while they build out the digital side of all that. So. It's, uh, I mean, and, and I think over time, they will not be attracting talent. They'll just be automating and they're going to radically shift and become content companies that have technical partners that bring the content back out and, don't, and no longer own it like they did in the old days. Maybe it's a problem of, of right now then, a bit of a short-term problem that's going to eventually 
tail off. Yeah, could be. Well, given that... I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Hold on. I just want to pounce on that for a second. I would say, if anything, much like real estate and the inflation that we see right now, where you've got, you know, I heard someone was paying $21 for Kiwis in Manhattan. I, I don't see wages going down. Once wages go up mm. and in this inflationary environment, even though wages are up, inflation's up and that's going to stay. I think there's a, um, there's a key point as well to, you, you, you're making a really important point, Eric, about the supply chains will become increasingly supplied by, by vendors and automated and, and, and those sorts of things. But ultimately, use of software is a differentiator and your ability to, um, to, to innovate technically I think is a, is, is a differentiating factor as well. So, so it, it kind of feels like back in the, uh, back in the day, people, everyone went for SAP and um, Oracle or one of the other sort of big boring ERP systems and eventually realized that, uh, okay, so, so all of our project, all of our processes have become homogenized. There is no differentiator between us and the next guy. So that's when people started to go, okay, so we'll, we'll pick things out and we'll start investing in our own software again um, to differentiate. And I think it, it feels like there is, whilst, whilst I think there's an awful lot in standardization and, and just reducing all the kind of the manual grunt and crap that we've had in supply chains for so, for so very long and automating it and making it commodity, um, it, it feels like the, the content creators are still going to have that um, have that sort of um, you know, synergy of, of, of storytellers and tech people to actually be able to differentiate themselves in the market. So it will be, I, I, I agree with you. I think it will, be, it will be a big problem going forward. So given that, you know, we were talking about all of these, uh, the, the hidden problems and dirty secrets of our industry, but what is coming up right around the corner for us after two years, NAB is back in person, supposedly. Is it, has it been three years? It's really been three years. Wow. Um, <laughs> shows you what I know. So we're back. Are you guys all going? Is everybody going? We we certainly go. We're not. Uh, we won't be taking a booth. Uh, there's there's four of us flying out on the extraordinarily expensive uh, flights that they're on at the moment. It is phenomenal how expensive the flights are. And I think we also booked. Well, at the peak of the oil pricing as well, and everyone was booking, <laughs> um, which didn't help. We're going to be on about three or four booths with partners floating around. Like we said before about trade shows before all this, we kind of looking at spreading our budget across uh, multiple uh, sort of organizations in that way. But having been to Satis in Paris in November, having been to HPA uh, in Palm Springs uh, last month, and just having come back from Berlin, whoever goes will have a great time and they will connect and uh, and things will get done. It, it, that is reality. People are so ready to have these conversations and meet in person. Are, are the people, conversations different than they were before? I mean, are people are, are people more in depth? I'm assuming less people are coming, period. So does that mean you're having, you know, are you having more detailed conversations and actually coming to a deal, so to speak? Well, I think... I think you're having more nuanced conversations than you can. I think you'll get really cheesed off very quickly at people saying, hey, it's nice to see you in 3D. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens about every three seconds when, when you're meeting people. Yeah, definitely the conversations are are more, more real. And, and it hasn't been a long time in the scale of things, but three years away, not chatting to people, having those conversations, bumping into people, 
you don't bump into people on Zoom and, you know, last week and the previous things, bumping into people, having chats that just would never have happened in, in a digital environment. And that's the really super encouraging thing. And it has led to opportunities and has led to potential deals for us just in that short period. So, yeah, we'll be there and I'm really looking forward to it. And I can't wait to see whoever else is out there, out of you guys. Are you guys all going? Any of you guys going? Yeah, I'm, I'm headed out. I, and I think it's it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I've been I've been a pretty vocal critic of some of the big trade shows over, over the past couple of years, and 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 I think one that you know we were just talking about recruitment, right? And the number of new people coming into the industry, or the number of people we're trying to attract in the industry, you know, NAB, IBC, I, I don't think they have the relevance to those people. You know, if, if you've not been in the industry prior to three years ago. You know the the meanings of those show whether you're a vendor or if you or if you're a buyer or user I th- you know it's just not 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 the relevance but I, I think it is going to be interesting to watch hpa i th- i think i saw some stats that it was almost as few as 10 percent of the attendees were end users of the of the show something as close to 90 percent being vendors I've heard some stats that the nab registrations may be at something like 35 to 40 percent of what they were in 2019. Um, so it's definitely going to be a quiet show. The other anecdotal was discussing with someone the other day from one of the quite large vendors in the industry was that they're also seeing a shift in the demographics for NAB. So a lot of the senior execs from the broadcasters aren't going. It's more kind of middle management who are who, who are attending the show. So I think from that point of view, the nature of discussions might change quite a bit. But it's I think it's going to be vendor heavy. Okay, it'll be nice to see everyone anyway. And, you know, I think there will be conversations there, but I think it's going to be very, very different to 2019. We've kind of got a missing, um, almost like a missing generation of people that, um, you know, because we've, we've, we've missed, what, six, um, kind of six, five, six shows? Or yeah. two, almost, almost kind of two, what, two and a half oh, years? Oh, you mean of, NAB, um, HPA, IBC, you're kind of thinking of the big ones there? Yeah. But it, it's three years. And, and let's face it, if you if you were coming into the industry and you've never done an IBC or an NAB, you know, a show of that scale, the other industries don't have them of that scale. I mean, sh- sure, there's things like um, Mobile World Congress and things, but, you know, the, the, the big stands there are the really big vendors. You wouldn't you wouldn't see vendors the size of most of the broadcast vendors having having booths the size that we, we traditionally might have done, a, 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 you know, IBC and NAB. Um, at all the scale of presence or, or necessarily the scale of attendance. So I think it is, it's a different world. And I, and I, and I don't know that buying trends still, still support an NAB and an IBC in the size that they were pre-pandemic. Although arguably they, they were both in decline before the pandemic as well. I think, um, you know, so from the HPA point of view, what we found was there were certainly were the end users there, but they were all naturally more LA based, which was great for us to sort of hook up with those people. And I've got a feeling that NAB is going to be very much a very local kind of show in that sense, uh, in mm. terms of LA people. New Yorkers are flying down uh, as well. Um, but you're obviously not going to be. And also, there are Latin Americans going, but not many. So, there are, you know, like we were chatting with our dealers in uh, Chile and Argentina today, and they are coming. Some customers are coming, but not in the numbers they were before. So, it will be a bit more condensed. But I do think it's going to be vendor heavy because. Just looking at LinkedIn, you say, who's going? It's vendor, 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 yeah. vendor. Yeah. Eric, is Zixi going? Uh, Zixi is, but we're not going to have a booth. We were supposed to have our 
largest booth in history, a 40 by 40 double decker, great debutante ball kind of thing in 2020. And that did not happen. Rules around booths are fairly draconian. So we have gone with the suite at the Encore route and our booking meetings for that are sort of over under is somewhere between 40 and 50,000 people versus the 110 we normally expect. While I expect fully vendor heavy ish, I could argue it was always vendor heavy ish. <laughs> um, and I would say that the quality, I have many, many clients that are confirming. And so we've got a robust set of schedules. I did a little drive-by tour of New York about two weeks ago, and I was out for every lunch and every dinner. So the human pent up demand to meet is very high. Um, the obligation that people feel to say, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in three years is pretty high. The generation may not get it, but the industry still functions that way. So, uh, and, and actually given whether it's middle management to upper middle management, that's kind of where you're working in your, in your wheelhouse anyways, normally. I mean, you find sponsorship, but you're not necessarily working out the details on deals and projects and that sort of thing. So uh, I think we're gonna all find out. Uh, NAB's pulled forward a little bit starting on a Sunday. That kind of helps. Uh, certainly to Nick's point, pricing is ridiculous. That doesn't help people get there. I would say too that uh, on a sidebar, apparently BTS, the Korean pop group is coming in that weekend, which is not helping anyone as you're packing <laughs> 130,000 people over a two day show. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there. A little out of my generation, but uh, I do. I, I do think that the projects have advanced, like we've all been busy working virtually. And I think now, even though the television industry obviously notoriously slow in its evolutions and ad adoption has hit that sort of uh, existential edge where you've got to really figure out what are you doing? It goes back to what we talked about with talent and now we're getting into the actual infrastructure and operations. So I think that uh, the proverbial kicking of the can on things like satellite what does 5G really mean? Like we've got 5G in production right now with Bloomberg, Amazon, and Verizon. So that's a real proof point. And we're, we're kind of moving off fantasy whiteboard stuff. And we've got to have real conversations about how does this industry not just survive, but thrive as it goes forward. And you actually have people's attention on that. And like Steve had commented earlier about software, topics like artificial intelligence, machine learning are you know really high on the list. And what does this mean? We've been saying cloud for several years, but I would say the industry hasn't even achieved 10% adoption. So there's a lot of things on the table to be worked through. Yeah, and I was just thinking about, again, it, now that I've kind of gone back to the content side, um, I'm thinking through, I've got a huge project right now where we're launching a new app. We're gonna do all live streaming. All of our, our pay-per-view content is now a subscription. It's all inside of an app. We have to distribute to all the OTT platforms as well as our own app and the web and all that fun stuff. So there's about uh, seven vendors involved in that entire workflow. And I hired, I believe six of them, I all met through conferences, trade shows mm. in years past, all but one. And so I, as you guys were talking about that, I was thinking it through. Now I'm not planning on going to NAB but I have gone, of course, for years beforehand. And that's where, you know, Zixi, to, in full transparency, Zixi is now one of my vendors and Object Matrix is now one of my vendors. And I met both of you guys through trade shows and, your, and knew about your companies through trade shows. The only one I can think of that I have right now that I did not meet at a 
trade show was someone I met when I very first started at the UFC. They were already a vendor at the UFC. They're the only exception to the rule. And that company has never been to a trade show. But they will tell you, if they were on this call, they would tell you <laughs> their biggest struggle is always marketing because nobody's ever heard of them. So it's, you know, this, yeah, they saved money by not going to trade shows and they didn't have to spend the time on that. They're a fully remote technical media support company. But the flip side of that is they have to work really, really, really hard to get their name out there because nobody knows who the heck they are. So it is interesting to think about that in the scale, in the, in the concept of should people go back to trade shows and, and what kind of value do they have? You know, that's one, one, and I am uh, not a millennial. I am 54 years old. So I am very much at the old engineer end of the scale. <laughs> um, but everybody that I'm working with is millennial and younger. And those guys have never been to a trade show ever. They've never been to any of them. And so they're looking to me to know who the heck do we call to start finding a vendor to solve XYZ problem because I'm the one that's been in the industry. And, and that's why they that's why they pay you the big bucks, Christy. Yeah. Um, but and, you know, it's look, it's boring to say it again, but you know, people buy from people. Eric was out lunching with people and building about relationships. Trust. It's still about when, trust. When when I went to HP in LA, I mean I get no sympathy for it, but having dinners nine days out of the 12 was really physically tough after like not doing that for three years. I was broken, absolutely broken. And three of those dinners were heavy, including some of the waggish guys, right? So it's not, during that time, those relationships were, were strengthened and built. And, you know, I think, but Ben and I are both really vocal against long trade shows that aren't appropriate and aren't right for how we do things today but both of us both feel i certainly feel that we do need events where we meet people to network in order to build those relationships yeah but you're certainly not going to be recruiting <clears throat> young people to work for you at any of these trade shows anymore from what i can tell i don't think you're certainly not going to be uh, if if you're 60 to 70 percent of your attendees are vendors you know, maybe that's good, maybe it's bad. It might be good because oftentimes I've met good vendors as a recommendation from another vendor. So there's still value for vendors all knowing each other and understanding each other's projects for sure. Is that, I mean, is that really why we're going to trade shows? I, I kind of hate for us to slip back into where we were in 2019 and before, because because we're all really keen to go back. It feels like we might just slip into the back, into the bad old traits and the, the ways we did things. And I, I just hope we're not missing an opportunity to make a change. And yet Ben and I, who are both not going to NAB this year, are both going to NAB. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go ahead, Ben. I wonder, Sorry. I remember being in a couple of calls, <laughs> I say during the pandemic, we're still in the pandemic, <laughs> but um, in the in the height of the pandemic and um, uh, yeah, and being on calls with um, with people I knew pretty well, talking about okay so um so, so, so actually the, the the reputation of the um of the the technology department the broadcast operations department is super high at the minute because we've done we've we've stepped up we've um, we've gone remote we've done everything and then sort of sort of sort of voce is um but we've also spent the next three years budget doing it um and i wonder how much of a factor that's going to be now obviously we'll continue you know, stream world continues to to advance you know the 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 big um you know the the, the big Apple's, Amazon's, and so on uh, have more money in pocket change down the back of the sofa than we've, we we ever have in budgets. So this, the, this, the threat's still there. But I, I just wonder how much of how much of uh, of that is going to have an influence on shows 
um, you know, the, the kind of slightly threadbare nature of some of the budgets, maybe um, for, for for the next few years, might have on on the the interactions that we have at shows. I think there's a valid valid point there, and, and I'll come back to it. I just want to to respond to something that that, that you were saying, Christy. I had a really interesting conversation with somebody the other day, a, a small vendor, and we were talking about IBC actually, and and they were saying, but all of our leads ever have come from IBC. And I was like, right, but the only marketing you've ever done has been IBC. That's that's all you've ever done is going to the trade show. Of course, so of course, that's where all your leads have come from. Um, and and so I think there is. You know, there is a case that, that as vendors, we've become far more intelligent in terms of ways marketing, but still actually, you know, and, and Nick hit on this, right? I, I'm not saying we don't need to meet people in person and we don't need to have these events where we network and connect with different people. We absolutely do. It's about having the right and appropriate events. And and even Eric Traub from NAB, you know, he, he was on a, a call not that long ago, I was, I was listening and he was saying, we know that NAB needs to pivot. It needs to change. It needs to enable those connections more than it has been. It can't rely on just being a big trade show. And I think a piece of that, I mean, what's what's actually quite interesting there is is when we think as a vendor about the cost of going to NAB, it's nuts. And this is where the budgets thing, you know, come comes in. So we do have to take an approach. We can't have these massive booths. We can't send, you know, half our staff every year. And it's the same for the for the for the end users coming that they they can't either for the for the same reasons. Um, so it's about you know having a having an appropriate approach for for those shows, both from a vendor and a buyer point of view, but also finding the right forums and kind of pushing the industry forward to find the right forums. Uh, you know the DPP have, have got a good reputation with their events. I, I haven't had a chance to get much feedback on Berlin, but it looked like it was going to be a well set up event. HPA has been good in the past. You know those events do exist, and maybe we need more more in those kind of that kind of vein. But yeah, I, I think it's a uh, it's going to be interesting to see one way or another next week. Well, next Eric, week, and month. I, Eric and I certainly have, have, have been to a number of the SVG events as well, right? And and there again, I think people are looking for more curated, safe environments to have conversations. And that tends to be a sort of a, a zero to uh, 800, 1,000 people rather than 40,000 plus. Well, except uh, that you've got the same age problem at SVG that you do at NAB that we do yeah, across indeed. the board is there's no young people at any of these events. Now, maybe no. that's because it's so expensive to go and you have to have a certain kind of reached a certain level of trust in a company before they let you go off and do these things. So that's, I'm sure, part of it. But COVID the, the, kind of just threw, you know, kind of shook up every assumption we had about how people aged into these or into yeah. and out of these areas. But again, you know, I mean, in Berlin, Carrie, MD of Rice, presented to a room that was vastly middle-aged white male. And that is where we are today. And that is why Rise is, is as an organization, is trying to progress the gender diversity, going after young people in schools with their academies, much to what um, Steve was saying about going down to the school and the sort of college and university level stuff. But, you know, those things are happening. But today, things are still bought generally like they were two, three years ago, relationships with people of a certain age and a certain um, place within their within their organisation. If you think about it, it's kind of why we started WIG in the first place. It, 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 this whole wanting to um wanting to have people we kind of started because we want to get people to people together that we knew and uh, and, and just get conversations in a non, in a non-sales scenario and there was so much 
value that came from um, from you know being people who sold things but just being quiet in a room and listening about what their problems were and i think there's that there is huge value the, 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 there's got to be value in the in the mass events somewhere you know, i mean but I, I once you know i was kind of sad and, and whilst probably drinking a beer at nab and thought what does it look how many stands there are knowing the cut because I, I know you know roughly what um, what a company like ibm used to pay for their stand and all the people flying in there's there's easily a kind of a, a billion and a bit dollars worth of marketing spent in total across the industry goes into something like um like nab and, but, there, um, but there isn't an alternative, right? There isn't an obvious alternative. You I mean, you guys about how trade shows are dumb, <laughs> it, you know, not all and not, you know, the caveats are there, but Eric has alluded to the fact that they do back to back to back meetings, which means he never does anything at the trade show except meetings. Nobody has a, a clear and just doing virtual events and trying to have the little side rooms for people to talk digitally. That clearly didn't work either. <laughs> And so maybe it is, you know, just simply smaller events. Everything changed. Everything changed. And now there's a war, What, depending on who you are, what you're calling this thing. I'm calling it a war that's going on that's sort of really sort of exacerbating everything that already changed anyway. So it's if you look at NAB and then you look at, I assume we're going to have IBC, unless, of course, this war gets bigger and crazier. If we assume that there's some sanity that happens between NAB and IBC, we still have to solve the problem of how do we recruit people into this industry? How do we sell people our products? How do I find out about those products if I'm not going to trade shows? I'm not sure I know. I can't I can't think of a big brilliant solution to how those uh, this networking is supposed to continue. Yeah, I think the problem with some of the net oh, yeah, sorry, Karen. I just make a small point on that. So, you know, we're talking about the nature of a trade show and we're talking about why do we do it and there are vendors, et cetera, et cetera. But let's not forget why we ended up in that in the first place. We have a notoriously slow, difficult to harness and sort of shepherd forward industry called television. And it goes kicking and screaming wherever it goes. And the point that NAB and IBC aptly hosted in the lovely cities of Las Vegas and Amsterdam, where the two checkpoints to basically throttle your client, I mean, our lovely customer, and bring them to an area where we could actually sit them down and talk to them, rather than begging them and pleading with them to have a meeting on the other rounds. Now, that fundamental hasn't gone anywhere. And if anything, television executives are harder to reach than they ever were because they have, as we discussed, less people to give the things to. The second phase of that was that the pandemic really opened up and we didn't really touch on it on the talent level, but it certainly impacted how we meet. So when Zixi virtualized and not saying that we were the quote innovator, but we, we went really quickly pivot to quote, you know, virtual NAB 2020. We had a lot of success with that in that we were able to meet with, take the BBC, I think we had 70 plus people on a single call. You're never going to get 70 people at a booth. Now, what I do think is that the nature of the touch cadence of you with your client has definitely shifted because of the pandemic. In my informal polling of probably like 100 different clients, I think Zoom is super convenient. No one has to be inconvenienced. People are now working more from home. They're not commuting to their own offices, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the magic number was like, if we met four times a year, is that a good thing? 
So if you remain the touch points at our NAB and IBC and you see them twice for lunch somewhere, wherever they are in the country, and then you zoom them to death in the middle, it's something like that. And the fact that you can now use Zoom, we Zixi, our talent reach got much higher because we, because of the pandemic, suddenly took people that geographically otherwise wouldn't have made the cut. And suddenly we can hire in Wisconsin and we can hire in Montana and we can hire in Florida. Matter of fact, because of the pandemic, 60% of the people at Zixi that have been hired in the last two years had never met. And they've just started doing that over time. We kind of nicknamed our CFLs on the COVID babies. So we're bringing that together. I think it's the same thing on the client side. Well, I mean, certainly when we went to NAB for the first five years, it was to meet European customers because they were out there for seven days. They were at, and they were expecting to talk to people, whereas trying to get those same people in the UK or Paris was a nightmare. So you're right. I mean, if, uh, you know, and I know some people from the B that we were talking with today are, are going over and they'll be accessible. So it's having them as a captive audience as well. I think Eric sometimes in, in one location where typically in their home location, you can't get past the switchboard uh, or the, the they, switchboard. Aren't they doing NAB all in one hall this year? Isn't it all in one one hall? The whole thing is yeah. in one hall? No, it's a, it's a new one. It's, it's, it's three halls. So it's central, north, and west. Oh, there's a new hall. That's right. You're right. There's a new <clears> hall. Yeah, so, so, central if, it was, if it was all in one hall, that actually might make it kind of more Sorry. interesting because everybody's all in one hall. But no, it's, so it sounds like it's yeah. almost like it was. Three halls. It'll probably be my first time in the North Hall in 15 years as well. <laughs> <laughs> It smells, it smells of cats in my, in my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, hall because that's where all the toys were. <laughs> so talking about NEV then, what's, what's, what are people looking forward to about in terms of technology? Now, obviously, Ben uh, has joined us as a guest today from Pixotope, and certainly at HPA, virtual production was all the rage, and it seems to be uh, picking up a lot as well from what I'm seeing on, across all of the sort of social networks and talking to people. So I, I guess that's certainly going to be a, a, a topic. I, 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 you guys don't have a presence there, Ben, or do, or you're just going to be out there floating? Um, uh, similar to Eric, we will have a suite for meetings and we're taking a kind of a, a lightweight demo setup. We're not doing a, a whole studio build, which would be the kind of typical for us pre, pre-pandemic. But yeah, yeah, we're going, and I think you're right. There's going to, there's going to be a lot around virtual production, there's a lot of movement in the market. There's a lot of innovation going on. LED walls are just, you know, and LED volumes and, and studios around XR are just like, they seem to be popping up all the time. So there's going to be a lot around that. And I, I think we'll we'll probably start to see that merging with some of the other trendy topics like artificial intelligence. And, and as Eric said, you know, talk about cloud migration, you know, this kind of front end of the production is somewhere where cloud is still a, a pretty new topic if if it's even a topic at all so we might see some stuff around that for the for the vp world otherwise i think it'll just be some very large led screens <laughs> um one of the other things that we all talked about uh pre-covid was the devoncroft opener of nab which oh, i yeah. believe is is making a reappearance this year they are going to open the show as they did <laughs> before we all get to hear what Josh is predicting. Mr. Steinauer is predicting for the coming year. They are supposed to be streaming it as well as doing it live, but obviously the best part is going live and seeing how people react to the things that 
Mr. Steinauer proposed or supposized about what was going on. What what do you guys uh, what do you guys think he's going to be talking about this year? Frey my evaluation. <laughs> How about Nielsen? <laughs> Nielsen maybe. Um, I think aren't they also? I think Josh has got a slot at the SVG forum as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he's what they say there. Also, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I guess. Um, what are you thinking, Eric? What do you think he's going to pick on? Oh, well, I think that what Josh, not knowing what, not to put the, uh, I know what Josh's tea leaves are. I would say the to me, in my perspective, and you touched on Nielsen, but I would touch on Live View, Amagi, Whirl. Um, in terms of valuations. And one of the more interesting things that has come into our space is that private equity and large investment firms are actually inside M&E, which never would have happened five years ago. Valuations are, we'll just say favorable, to Mm -hmm. say the least. I think that it's interesting that the professional Wall Street money, though most of them not near it, are uh, looking in M&E I think this goes back to that inflation issue that capital is either going to be picking hard assets like land or it needs to buy companies that quote make money or have a growth story. I think you, I think in some ways you're absolutely spot on, Eric. I think the, um, it's kind of very, I think it's a very, it's a really interesting topic because um, a few years ago, I actually did some consulting with a, with a firm that was looking to do some roll-ups. And I think one of the fascinating things about going to IBC from that perspective was knowing just how many of the people in those booths were putting themselves up for sale, whatever valuation. So, kind of, you know, you, when you're moving around on the shop, shop on the on the show floor, everybody's talking a great game, but everybody's also trying to get out. I think the 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 other thing which was quite interesting, just looking at um, you know at the application of money in there, was the um, was to a certain extent, where's the return? Because if you're um, if you are if you're a vendor. Who is um, going into you know pushing in some way into the mass market? Then there's a there's a there's a huge huge growth story. If you're a vendor who's just sort of selling a slightly better mousetrap, say on you know sort of a slightly better broadcast management system, to take a take a, a wild example, you, you vote you, your market is 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 highly restricted, and so pulling investment in to be able to do that from from the sort of the kind of multiples that PE companies look for. It's, it's, it's really hard to do. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a really interesting story that the, and I hope they talk about it. Hmm. Well, NAB is certainly going to be interesting this year. We are almost out of time, but I will be very curious to reconnect with you guys after NAB and see what it was really like, who's out there, who's, if the process of NAB itself changes, you know, does everybody run around and go to 500 dinners? Probably. <laughs> Those of you doing two and three dinners a night during NAB will probably still be doing two or three dinners a night. Um, but, you know, beyond that, if it, if there are younger people that show up, if it is easier to meet a wider range of people because it's, there aren't so many people there. I, I don't know. I'll be in, you know, and it'll be really interesting to see what Josh and the Devoncroft group all has to say after some pretty tumultuous years in our industry. Well, let's, um, let's come back together then after NAB and, uh, report back on on how it went and uh, what, what we feel uh, the next steps are yeah that's great interesting good to great see you guys, guys. See you Cheers, uh, good luck thanks ben thanks for joining that was a great show what a good conversation yeah as usual as with many of the other podcasts we've done 
If you'd like to find out more about those, you can subscribe or you can follow us on LinkedIn. Yep. See you there. <laughs>